Chapter fifty five of the D'Artagnan Romances, Volume two, twenty years after by Alexander Dumas, translated by William Robson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Scotchman. And now our readers must leave the standard to sail peaceably, not toward London, where D'Artagnan and Porthos believed they were going, but to Durham, whither Mordaunt had been ordered to repair by the letter he had received during the sojourn at Boulogne, and accompany us to the royalist camp on this side of the Tyne near Newcastle. There, placed between two rivers on the borders of Scotland, but still on the English soil, the tents of a little army extended. It was midnight some highlanders were listlessly keeping watch the moon which was partially obscured by heavy clouds now and then lit up the muskets of the sentinels or silvered the walls the roofs and the spires of the town that charles i had just surrendered to the parliamentary troops whilst oxford and newark still held out for him in the hopes of coming to some arrangement at one of the extremities of the camp near an immense tent in which the scottish officers were holding a kind of council presided over by lord levin their commander a man attired as a cavalier lay sleeping on the turf his right hand extended over his sword about fifty paces off another man also apparelled as a cavalier was talking to a scotch sentinel and though a foreigner he seemed to understand without much difficulty the answers given in the broad perthshire dialect as the town clock of newcastle struck one the sleeper awoke and with all the gestures of a man rousing himself out of a deep sleep he looked attentively about him perceiving that he was alone he rose and making a little circuit passed close to the cavalier who was speaking to the sentinel the former had no doubt finished his questions for a moment later he said good night and carelessly followed the same path taken by the first cavalier in the shadow of a tent the former was awaiting him well my dear friend said he in as pure french as has ever been uttered between rouen and tours well my friend there is not a moment to lose we must let the king know immediately why what is the matter it would take too long to tell you besides you will hear it all directly and the least word dropped here might ruin all we must go and find lord de winter they both set off to the other end of the camp but as it did not cover more than a surface of five hundred feet, they quickly arrived at the tent they were looking for. "'Tony, is your master sleeping?' said one of the two cavaliers to a servant who was lying in the outer compartment which served as a kind of ante-room. "'No, Monsieur le Comte,' answered the servant. "'I think not, or at least he has not long been so, for he was pacing up and down for more than two hours after he left the king.' and the sound of his footsteps has only ceased during the last ten minutes however you may look and see added the lackey raising the curtained entrance of the tent lord de winter was seated near an aperture arranged as a window to let in the night air his eyes mechanically following the course of the moon intermittently veiled as we before observed by heavy clouds the two friends approached winter who with his head on his hands was gazing at the heavens he did not hear them enter and remained in the same attitude till he felt a hand upon his shoulder he turned around recognized athos and aramis and held out his hand to them have you observed said he to them what a blood-red color the moon has to-night no replied athos i thought it looked much the same as usual look again chevalier returned lord de winter 
I must own, said Aramis, I am like the Comte de la Fere. I can see nothing remarkable about it. My lord, said Athos, in a position so precarious as ours, we must examine the earth and not the heavens. Have you studied our Scotch troops, and have you confidence in them? The Scotch? inquired Winter. What Scotch? Ours, egad! exclaimed Athos. Those in whom the king has confided, Lord Levin's Highlanders. No, said Winter, then he paused. But tell me, can you not perceive the russet tint which marks the heavens? Not the least in the world, said Aramis and Athos at once. Tell me, continued Winter, always possessed by the same idea, is there not a tradition in France that Henry the Fourth, the evening before the day he was assassinated, when he was playing at chess with Monsieur de Bassompierre, saw clots of blood upon the chessboard? Yes, said Athos, and the Marechal has often told me so himself. Then it was so, murmured Winter, and the next day Henry the Fourth was killed. But. "'What has this visionary of Henry the Fourth to do with you, my lord?' inquired Aramis. "'Nothing. And, indeed, I am mad to trouble you with such things, when your coming to my tent at such an hour announces that you are the bearers of important news.' "'Yes, my lord,' said Athos. "'I wish to speak to the king.' "'To the king? But the king is asleep.' "'I have something important to reveal to him.' Can it not be put off till tomorrow? He must know it this moment, and perhaps it is already too late. Come, then, said Lord Winter. Lord Winter's tent was pitched by the side of the Royal Marquet, a kind of corridor communicating between the two. This corridor was guarded not by a sentinel, but by a confidential servant through whom, in case of an urgency, Charles could communicate instantly with his faithful subject. "'These gentlemen are with me,' said Winter. The lackey bowed and let them pass. As he had said on a camp-bed, dressed in his black doublet, booted, unbelted with his felt hat beside him, lay the king. Overcome by sleep and fatigue, they advanced, and Athos, who was the first to enter, gazed in a moment in silence on that pale and noble face, framed in its long and now untidy matted hair, the blue veins showing through the transparent temples, his eyes seemingly swollen by tears. Athos sighed deeply. The sigh woke the king, so lightly did he sleep. He opened his eyes. Ah, said he, raising himself on his elbow, is it you, Comte de la Fere? Yes, sire, replied Athos. You watch while I sleep. "'And you have come to bring me some news?' "'Alas, sire,' answered Athos, "'your majesty has guessed aright.' "'It is bad news.' "'Yes, sire.' "'Never mind. The messenger is welcome. "'You never come to me without conferring pleasure. "'You whose devotion recognizes neither country nor misfortune, "'you who are sent to me by Henrietta, "'whatever news you bring, speak out.' "'Sire, Cromwell has arrived this night at Newcastle.' "'Ah!' exclaimed the king. 
to fight no sire but to buy your majesty what did you say i said sire that four hundred thousand pounds are owing to the scottish army for unpaid wages yes i know it for the last year my faithful highlanders have fought for honor alone athos smiled well sir though honor is a fine thing they are tired of fighting for it and to-night they have sold you for two hundred thousand pounds that is to say for half what is owing them impossible cried the king the scotch sell their king for two hundred thousand pounds and who is the judas who has concluded this infamous bargain lord levin are you certain of it sir i heard it with my own ears the king sighed deeply as if his heart would break and then buried his face in his hands oh the scotch he exclaimed the scotch i called my faithful to whom i trusted myself when i could have fled through oxford the scotch my brothers but are you well assured sir lying behind the tent of lord levin i raised it and saw all heard all and when is this to be consummated to-day this morning so your majesty must perceive that there is no time to lose to do what since you say i am sold to cross the tyne to reach scotland and rejoin lord montrose who will not sell you and what shall i do in scotland a war of partisans unworthy of a king the example of robert bruce will absolve you sire no no i have fought too long they have sold me they shall give me up and the eternal shame of treble treason shall fall on their heads sire said athos perhaps a king should act thus but not a husband and a father i have come in the name of your wife and daughter and of the children you have still in london and i say to you live sire it is the will of heaven the king raised himself buckled on his belt and passing his handkerchief over his moist forehead said well what is to be done sire have you in the army one regiment on which you can implicitly rely winter said the king do you believe in the fidelity of yours sire they are but men and men are become both weak and wicked i will not answer for them i would confide my life to them but i should hesitate ere i trusted them with your majesties well said athos since you have not a regiment we are three devoted men it is enough let your majesty mount on horseback and place yourself in the midst of us we will cross the tyne reach scotland and you will be saved is this your counsel also winter inquired the king yes sire and yours monsieur d'herblay yes sire as you wish then winter give the necessary orders winter then left the tent in the meantime the king finished his toilet the first rays of daybreak penetrated the aperture of the tent as winter re-entered it 
all is ready sire said he for us also inquired athos grimaud and blazois are holding your horses ready saddled in that case exclaimed athos let us not lose an instant but set off come added the king sire said aramis will not your majesty acquaint some of your friends of this friends answered charles sadly i have but three one of twenty years who has never forgotten me and two of a week's standing whom i shall never forget come gentlemen come the king quitted his tent and found his horse ready waiting for him it was a chestnut that the king had ridden for three years and of which he was very fond the horse neighed with pleasure at seeing him ah said the king i was unjust here is a creature that loves me you at least will be faithful to me arthur the horse as if it understood these words bent its red nostrils toward the king's face and parting his lips displayed all its teeth as if with pleasure yes yes said the king caressing it with his hand yes my arthur thou art a fond and faithful creature after this little scene charles threw himself into the saddle and turning to athos aramis and winter said now gentlemen i am at your service but athos was standing with his eyes fixed on a black line which bordered the banks of the tyne and seemed to extend double the length of the camp what is that line cried athos whose vision was still rather obscured by the uncertain shades and demi-tints of daybreak what is that line i did not observe it yesterday it must be the fog rising from the river said the king sire it is something more opaque than fog indeed said winter it appears to me like a bar of red color it is the enemy who have made a sortie for newcastle and are surrounding us exclaimed athos the enemy cried the king yes the enemy it is too late stop a moment does not that sunbeam yonder just by the side of the town glitter on the iron sides this was the name given the cuirassiers whom cromwell had made his bodyguard ah oh, said the king we shall soon see whether my highlanders have betrayed me or not what are you going to do exclaimed athos to give them the order to charge and run down these miserable rebels and the king putting spur to his horse set off to the tent of lord levin follow him said athos come exclaimed aramis is the king wounded cried lord de winter i see spots of blood on the ground and he set off to follow the two friends he was stopped by athos go and call out your regiment said he i can foresee that we shall have need of it directly winter turned his horse and the two friends rode on it had taken but two minutes for the king to reach the tent of the scottish commander he dismounted and entered the general was there surrounded by the more prominent chiefs the king they exclaimed as all rose in bewilderment charles was indeed in the midst of them his hat on his head his brows bent striking his boot with his riding-whip yes gentlemen the king in person the king who has come to ask for some account of what has happened what is the matter sire 
exclaimed Lord Levin. "'It is this, sir,' said the king angrily, "'that General Cromwell has reached Newcastle, that you knew it, and I was not informed of it, that the enemy have left the town and are now closing the passages of the Tyne against us, that our sentinels have seen this movement, and I have been left unacquainted with it, that by an infamous treaty you have sold me for two hundred thousand pounds to Parliament.' of this treaty at least i have been warned this is the matter gentlemen answer and exculpate yourselves for i stand here to accuse you sire said lord levin with hesitation sire your majesty has been deceived by false reports my own eyes have seen the enemy extend itself between myself and scotland and i can almost say that with my own ears I have heard the clauses of the treaty debated. The Scotch chieftains looked at each other in their turn, with frowning brows. Sire, murmured Lord Levin, crushed by shame. Sire, we are ready to give you every proof of our fidelity. I ask but one, said the king. Put the army in battle array and face the enemy. That cannot be, sire said the earl how cannot be what hinders it exclaimed the king your majesty is well aware that there is a truce between us and the english army and if there is a truce the english army has broken it by quitting the town contrary to the agreement which kept it there now i tell you you must pass with me through this army across to scotland and if you refuse you may choose betwixt two names which the contempt of all honest men will brand you with. You are either cowards or traitors. The eyes of the Scotch flashed fire, and, as often happens on such occasions, from shame they passed to effrontery, and the two heads of clans advanced upon the king. Yes, said they, we have promised to deliver Scotland and England from him who for the last five-and-twenty years has sucked the blood and gold of Scotland and England. We have promised, and we will keep our promise. Charles Stuart, you are our prisoner. And both extended their hands as if to seize the king, but before they could touch him with the tips of their fingers, both had fallen, one dead, the other stunned. Aramis had passed his sword through the body of the first, and Aramis had knocked down the other with the butt end of his pistol. Then, as Lord Levin and the other chieftains recoiled before this unexpected rescue, which seemed to come from heaven for the prince they had already thought was their prisoner, Athos and Aramis dragged the king from the perjured assembly into which he had so imprudently ventured, and throwing themselves on horseback all three returned at full gallop to the royal tent. On their road they perceived Lord Winter marching at the head of his regiment. The king motioned him to accompany them. End of chapter 55 Recording by John Van Stan, Savannah, Georgia